from MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Our guest today is Matt Jones, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. It's the middle of 2017, but almost a new year for vehicle models. What new bells and whistles do the 2018 cars and trucks have? How can you find a good price on a used car? Can you actually buy a car using Twitter? We'll answer your vehicle and personal finance questions today. Give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to money at mpbonline.org. This is Money Talks from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. In just a few minutes, we'll be talking with our guest today, Matt Jones, who is the Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. It's the middle of 2017, but almost a new year for vehicle models. So what new bells and whistles do the 2018 cars and trucks have? How can you find out what a good price is for a used car? And can you buy a car using Twitter? Today, we're going to talk about buying a car, answering your vehicle questions, but also any personal finance questions uh, that you have for us today. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or send an email, money at mpbonline.org. And if you missed part of the show today, one way to find the complete show is to go to mpbonline.org slash money talks, and you'll be able to listen to the full show. Also, a reminder that you can download the MPB Public Radio app and listen to uh, Money Talks and our other programs on your iPhone or Android phone on your schedule. So good morning both uh, to you both. Hope that you enjoyed the uh, weekend, or, I mean the weekend and the big holiday we had uh, last Tuesday. Yeah, uh, Ryder and I both have had some time off. We've been swapping out at the office and uh, he's been doing some, his travel has been more adventurous than mine, right? Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, he crossed the pond. Uh-huh. Yeah, well we just, you know, we talked about that on the show two weeks ago a little bit um, I, I don't think i was here well you should have tuned in they have a wonderful app where you can listen to it wherever you are um all you need is all you need is a little bit of cell phone service i, I, I think i was in the woods you probably could have gotten it so did you uh, by chance see any of the wimbledon uh, while you were over there no no i didn't although i have been watching i have caught some uh since being back Exciting matches. I was down on uh, the Gulf Coast of Florida for the uh, annual air show there. So always interesting to see the Blue Angels. They put on quite a show. Oh, they're oh, amazing, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I've heard that the the military planes have the jet engines so loud in, in order to you know frighten potential enemies or whatever. And when that plane zips by the beach about 50 feet off the ground um and it's funny because they have the four of them working a little thing and then the two of them sort of fly around so they've got your eyes directed down one end of the beach at the four and then all of a sudden you turn around and in the blink of an eye this thing just zips right by there and the the i mean the the thunderous sound it's amazing so i i could mm-hmm. see where 
if I were one of the enemy and saw one of those approaching that I might rethink uh, plans there, that's for sure. But uh, was fortunate that uh, dodged the rain and uh, had the show. They actually do two practice shows, Thursday and Friday, and then the real show Saturday. So I got to see them twice. So that was always a lot of fun. So uh, what about uh, financial news in the news? Well, we got a new jobs report. And uh, just to refresh everyone, we get a new jobs report on the first Friday of every new month, and it tells us what happened on the previous month. So for June, what was it? We added 222,000 jobs. Is that right? Something like yeah. that. And uh, which was good news. And mm-hmm. so the market responded positively yeah. to that. Everyone was very happy about very that. Very happy about that. Um, the unemployment rate, which is also reported, ticked up to 4.4, but that's because if the, the market is picking up, we may have more people coming back in looking mm-hmm. for jobs. Now, our average number is still over, you know, the last quarter and, and the first part of the year is really okay. It's kind of a little tepid. So yeah. we're hoping things will pick up. Yeah. All right. So we're looking for any personal finance questions that you have today. And also we're going to be visiting with just a moment uh, with Matt Jones, a senior consumer advice editor for Edmunds.com. We'll talk a little bit about buying a new car. Uh, in fact, let's uh, invite him onto the program now. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Good morning. So uh, how long have you been working with Edmunds? Uh, four years I've been with Edmunds. All right. And uh, what exactly does, uh, what exactly, uh, what sort of information does Edmunds have on their website? Oh, geez. I mean, we have a wide array for pretty much anybody in the shopping process. We have reviews for cars. Uh, we also have pricing tools. Um, we have information on actually how to maintain a car. Uh, so pretty much wherever somebody is in the car ownership cycle, we're going to have something for them. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, this is sort of the new year for car models. And so what are some of the things on the cars and trucks uh, new for 2018 that you've seen that have sort of caught your eye? Well, you know, one of the biggest changes is actually people are going away from bigger engines into smaller, more fuel-efficient engines, uh, like making turbocharged engines, for example. Some of the cars that have had V6s traditionally are deciding to not have V6s in new iterations and just make turbocharged four-cylinders that produce the same kind of power uh, but get a better fuel economy. Um, We're also hearing, you know, companies that are talking about getting away from big engines altogether. I don't know if you heard that Volvo recently uh, announced that all of their engines are going to be electric or hybrid-powered in the next several years. So we're seeing things like that. You know, a lot of it is being geared towards being more fuel-efficient, more safe, and also uh, autonomous driving is a very big uh, conversation point for some of these new cars. That's my favorite topic. Riders <laughs> grinning at me. I talk about it all the time. Self-driving cars is what's going to keep us independent into our daughtery old age. Sure. I agree. So, Matt, uh, tell us more. Uh, is that uh, still progressing? And, and what, do we have even maybe a timetable for when we might be able to see you know, large numbers of those kind of vehicles on the road? You know, I think that the answer is really going to depend upon who you talk to um, you know, and what side of the fence they're on. Uh, trying to look at it with um, no rose-colored glasses, I think it's going to be a little bit further away than some of the car makers would say. Um, but I will tell this, it seems like every car maker is devoting incredible amounts of resources, buying up other companies and dedicating new teams to creating autonomous driving and, and making it become a real thing. So when you've got players like, you know, even Uber getting into it and, you know, people from the tech company, they're outside of the car business, you know it's going to be a big thing. I just don't know how soon it's going to be as viable as we all hope it, it will be, but I have no doubt that it will be here. And Matt, this seems like, um, you know, this is setting us up for this huge change 
in the automotive industry, which is connected to the price of oil. And uh, that's because oil prices um, are going to be dictated by how much we use in transportation. So as we have more fuel-efficient cars, um, as we have a change in even auto ownership, that means oil will probably go down further, right? Well, you know, I couldn't speak because that's not my expertise, but I will tell you if you are right, and it sounds like you've got some pretty good facts behind you. Um, I still think there's going to be gasoline-powered vehicles, but if, you know, when oil does become lower, gas becomes lower, and you're going to see uh, a boom in truck sales, SUV sales, fleet sales, and we see it every time the gas dips. So, you know, when we start getting more um, fuel-efficient and start being more fuel-efficient in the car business as a whole, you are going to see actually an uptick in vehicles that consume more fuel. It just happens cyclically every 15 years or so. Whenever gas prices go down, big truck sales go up, and, and that's actually one of the reasons why truck sales are holding so steady and their values are so strong right now is because of the relative low price of gas as compared to, you know, the past decade. What about overall vehicle sales? Because, you know, we're at the point in the business cycle, it seems like everybody who was going to buy a car has already bought the car and uh, auto sales are slowing down. We're hearing of layoffs in the automotive industry. What do you see going forward? So, I mean, on on a pretty wide scope, it's easy to say that you know, because auto sales do look like they're going to be slightly down from, you know, last year, maybe the year before. But even still, um, the U.S. is poised to have like the fourth best year in history. So although it's a little bit slower than the past two years, it's still tremendous numbers. I think that we're tracking something like 17.2 million new car sales uh, was the project uh, projection for the end of the year. So Sometimes, you know, manufacturers will expect one type of vehicle to sell gangbusters, and it just turns out to not be the case. And, you know, so unfortunately, layoffs do come. I mean, I know GM's had some layoffs. A lot of that's been attributed to the plant in Venezuela. But I think as a whole, I think the industry is actually very, very strong um, because there's just an incredible amount of sales growth. And what's the average time that we keep a car or change vehicles? Uh, About six years, and the average Mm. length of a car on the road is about 11 years old. Is that getting is that getting longer or anything? I've I've kind of heard anecdotal discussions about you know quality of cars these days are increasing, which is possibly a reason why one you have more older cars on the road, and also <laughs> there's you know people are buying fewer cars because they're just lasting longer. Is is there any anything behind that? I think so. I think the cars are better made now than they've ever been. Um, I think that you know. When you talk about cars, traditionally people would say, hey, when a car hits, you know, the 100,000-mile mark, it's time to start looking for something new or you're going to start worrying about major problems. Or, and that, I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. You know, uh, a lot of cars that have 100,000 miles are being sold or resold, you know, for pretty significant dollars. So it just tells me that people don't have the fear of a 100,000 or 125,000-mile car like they used to. And that's enabling people or to feel confident to keep those cars on the road a little bit longer. The other part of it is, though, um, cars are becoming a little bit pricier. You know, so mm-hmm. if you have an opportunity to drive your own car that's got 125,000 miles and you feel confident it's still going to get you to work safely and get the kids to soccer practice okay, there may not be that onus to still buy a brand-new car like there was in years past. But, again, still 17.2 million new cars are going to be sold this year. So there's still a lot of people buying cars, but... I think um, older cars are actually uh, having longer lives than they have in the past. 
We need to take a quick break. We're visiting today on Money Talks with Matt Jones, a senior consumer advice editor for Edmunds.com. If you have a question about buying a car or if you have a personal finance question for Nancy and Ryder, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Call us at one 672 or email the show money at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're visiting today with Matt Jones, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. So we're talking about buying a new car, but also looking for your personal finance questions. We've got some open phone lines. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring To join in this morning, just call one 672 7464, or send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. So, Matt, uh, if you're out uh, trying to buy a new car, I guess there is some work that you can do and some research you can do before you even, uh, you know, say, hit a car lot or or search online for some of the uh, the dealers online. What are some of the basic research that a new car buyer should do to make sure that they're well-informed before they get too deep into things? So what, what I've seen is when people are buying cars, unfortunately or fortunately, it becomes really emotional. You know, we get caught up in like, hey, we're buying a new car. It's going to be cool. And sometimes that emotion like overrides what we should be doing. And the first thing we should be doing is trying to figure out why exactly are we buying a new car? Like what's driven us to that point? And what I've found to be, you know, a good tip for people who are looking to shop for cars is consider your own car first. You know, consider what you really like about it. Consider what you really dislike about it. And then find cars that are going to be similar or that are going to kind of meet those needs as to why you're getting out of your other one. You know, so don't just go buy a new car just because it's, you know, hot and cool. Think about why you're doing it. But before you go to a lot, absolutely do your online research. You know, go to stops like Edmunds. Go online. See what people are saying about the cars that you're considering. And ask friends who bought cars recently, like, what their process was like, you know, what they liked about their car and, and, you know, some of the things that happened to them at the dealership so that they could be more prepared. So before you go to a dealership, there's a lot of things that people can do to actually get themselves in the right frame of mind before they start shopping. And as you said, even one of them might be to visit the website of whatever dealer they plan to go to so that they maybe could do sort of searching through the inventory without the pressure of the salesman there on the lot. Absolutely. And if you think about some of the bigger dealerships, you know, I'm here in Southern California, and we have dealerships that will have eight, nine hundred vehicles in stock. And can you imagine going to a dealership and trying to sift through eight or nine hundred <laughs> vehicles, you know? 
go online first and look at their inventory and then maybe select two or three cars that are going to you know, be interesting to you and then call the dealership ahead of time and say, hey, I want to be there around 4 o'clock. Is there any chance that you can have these two or three vehicles brought to where I am so we don't have to run around the city looking for cars and, and then you don't have information overload? Yeah, so absolutely, go online and look at inventory first. I would also say that it's important to, to look at the um, service record of your local dealer. If you're going to be dependent on that, uh, you want to make sure you have a car that is reliable. But what about the kind of service that you'll get after you purchase the car? And that's where I've run into some issues around here, where I did all of my research on a on a vehicle and I purchase it, and then you know I'm quite disappointed with the service I got. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that before, and I can attribute that to two things, I think, um, from, from my experience. First, um, everybody's experience is different, you know, and what I found sometimes is that when people have bad experiences, a lot of times it comes down to a, a, a failure of communication between what the shopper is expecting and what the dealership is saying, whether it's in service or whether it's in sales. So one of the strongest things that a person can do if they want to make sure that they have a a good relationship, because I think that's what we all want to do when we're talking about, you know, buying a car that's, you know, $30,000, is make sure that everybody's saying the same thing. And that's going to avoid a lot of confusion and hopefully not uh, allow anybody to make promises that aren't kept. But before even that part, you know, when we start talking about social media, um, dealerships are very aware of their reputations online, you know, through Yelp and Google and Edmunds Reviews and DealerRater and things like that. So I think a, a good place to start, especially if you're planning on going back to that dealership over and over again, is, is check out what other people are saying about them. And it's not hard. You can usually just Google a dealership's name, and before the dealership's website even pops up, you know, their Google or, or Yelp reviews or Edmunds reviews are going to pop up. So those, that's a really good way to make sure you're dealing with somebody or a group of people that you're going to feel comfortable with for the next few years. We're visiting with Matt Jones, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com this morning on Money Talks, and we've got a couple calls on the line, Matt. So let's uh, begin. We've got Scott, who's in Jackson today. Good morning, Scott. Yes, one thing I did with my last car purchase, I actually went online to another dealership out of state and printed out the exact same car that was $6,000 for with similar mileage and features, and I took it to a dealership locally here in Jackson, tells them I'm going to pay you the same price, and they actually came down $6,000. I got the car for seventeen six taxes out the door. You paid a pan 23 Plus tax. So, it pays to go online and even take the online printout with you when you go to the dealership and make a deal on the price. Uh, Scott, good phone call. And Matt, uh, follow up on that if you would, please. Uh, you can, uh, don't expect that uh, the price is in concrete. Uh, if you're a good negotiator or if you know someone who is, bring that person along because there is some wiggle room. Yeah, and you know what? It's, it's, it's expected on both sides that there's going to be a little bit of negotiation. And I know that that's one of the tough parts that a lot of shoppers don't want to do a whole lot of, you know, back and forth fighting. And the best way to avoid it is to know what you're talking about ahead of time like Scott was, to do your research and bring in documentation that kind of backs up your point, and that's going to make the negotiation go a whole lot easier. So I think Scott has the right idea, and I think that's a good piece of advice for pretty much anybody. Um, do some online research and look for comparables and print them just like you would if you were buying a home. Yeah, I think I might have told this story on the air before when we talked about car buying, but when I bought my car a couple of years ago, I brought a friend of mine, and he, he basically did all the negotiation for me. And I remember when they brought out the first offer, we both looked at it, and he looked at it, and he says, 
he's going to need a better deal than that. And I was sitting back thinking, thank you so much for being here because you're making my life a lot easier. But, you know, we talked about that also, uh, Matt, is to have that friend there because they're not as emotionally involved in the purchase of the new car and they can help you be objective and and help deal with uh, the dealer. Absolutely. Um, in the time that I've spent in the car business, they'd call that a wingman. Um, <laughs> you know, you bring your wingman in to help keep you on, on focus because, you know, when we leave, when we're having breakfast in the morning and we're talking with our family, we're going to say, hey, you know, we're going to go out and buy this car and we're not going to put anything more than $3,000 down and we're not going to pay anything more than $350 a month. And then we get inside the car and we get very excited by the way the new leather smells and we say, okay, maybe we'll pay $400 a month. But that wingman can keep us focused on what we need to do because just like you said they're not emotionally attached and and here's the thing i have bought more cars than my mom has and i'm more familiar with the process than my mom would be as an example so if my mom were to go buy a new car she'd bring me along just because i can help her not only make a good decision but i can help her navigate the process especially if this is unfamiliar territory so if you've got somebody in your stable who knows how to keep you grounded and knows how to help you negotiate and and navigate all this stuff why not absolutely bring them or her all right one thing i was curious about i mean before you even get to you know negotiating a price down uh because there you're kind of starting with whatever the dealer said is there what what is a good way to tell what's a good price to pay for that car in the first place because you know maybe maybe you could get two thousand dollars off but if it were overpriced by four thousand dollars what you know are you really getting a good deal and you mentioned you have pricing tools how how do you how do you gauge whether that price is kind of objectively good so I think there's two really easy ways of doing it you know and on our site Edmonds we have a product that we call price promise. And essentially what it does is it allows a shopper pretty easily to get very competitive prices from more than one dealer at the same time. So if you're looking for a Honda Accord, you may not have to look at a Honda Accord only at one dealership. From your home, you can get prices from like, you know, three, four, five different dealerships at the same time. And if they're all pretty similar, then you kind of get the idea, hey, that's what the market is for this car. You know, if one guy is uh, a lot more than another guy, well, then maybe that's not the guy that you want to go with if everybody else is kind of in the same ballpark. The other tool that we have is something called True Market Value. And True Market Value is one of my favorite tools. It essentially says, pop in your zip code, pop in the car that you want, and we're going to tell you what the average price paid for this vehicle is. We have a lot of information and make it very easy for somebody to learn what a fair price is for the car. So... Getting a good deal is exactly right. If it, you know if a car's marked up way way above where it should be, and you get a thousand dollars off, that might feel good, but that doesn't ultimately mean that you're getting a good deal. But if everybody, if you know five or six dealerships are saying, "Hey, a car costs the same thing," and this is what the average price being paid is, and you know all that information, it makes it a lot easier to make the right kind of decision when you're buying a car. All right, we've got another phone call to get to, so we invite Dave, who's called in from Mobile today. Good morning, Dave. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. Have two questions. Uh, in no rush to purchase a new vehicle, but I am interested in developing technologies that are going to improve driver safety. You know, we're seeing uh, lane departure uh, technology, uh, forward sensing radar, uh, headlights that uh, track as you turn. What do you see developing, you know, in the near future? And then number two, um, purchasing a vehicle. Um, 
how do you see one's credit score affecting your ability to get financing and the monthly payment you would potentially have to make? And I'll take. I'll just continue offline. All right, uh, Dave, thanks for the call. I, I just want to say, Dave has a great voice. Doesn't he have a great voice? <laughs> Dave's gunning for my job, I think. I think so. <laughs> Uh, so, Matt, if you would first uh, talk about, uh, as uh, as Dave mentioned, lots of uh, new driver safety uh, type technology coming in. Talk a little about uh, about that, if you would. Well, Dave nailed them. I mean, especially adaptive headlights. You know, people really like that. Again, I keep mentioning I'm in Southern California, but we have some, you know, we drive through some mountains and it gets dark. And when you have adaptive headlights, it can actually sense that you're turning the wheel and move with you. It gives you a much wider range of view than you would have in traditional headlights. Um, lane keeping assist, in my opinion, that's one of the, Gosh, I hate to say this, but you know what? I see a lot of people texting and driving. I, I hate to say it, but I see it all the time. And late keeping assist actually notifies a driver, hey, you've gotten out of your lane. So I, I, I dislike talking about people being distracted drivers, but anything a car can do to keep somebody in their lane and out of mine is going to make me feel more comfortable. Um, another feature that I think is, is that a lot of people are not paying close enough attention to, but I think it's a great one. Uh, is adaptive cruise control. And we're all familiar with cruise control, but what adaptive cruise control will do is keep a certain buffer of space between you and the car that you're trailing. So in the event that you do get distracted, the car is going to slow down for you, even if, you, you know, even if your reactions are slow. So these are all part of this new autonomous driving suite that's coming out. Usually when people think of autonomous driving, they think of like, you know, Michael Knight and Knight Rider and Kit <laughs> driving them around. But it's not only that. It's a bunch of different things that are going to help people uh, drive more safely. There's even talks of uh, new cars that are going to kind of uh, disable uh, um, that's not the exact right word, but maybe make it more difficult for you to text and drive. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that are on the horizon. And I say horizon, I'm talking about like the next six months, year that are out there to make saving, uh, driving safer for all of us. All right. Uh, the other thing that David mentioned is the idea of your credit score and financing. So if you would to talk about maybe uh, the, the importance of trying to do a little bit of, of financing or investigating your finances uh, before going into a dealership. Yeah, and so here's um, that's a very big question. That's a question we get talked to a lot. So the first thing I'd like to say is that a lot of people are discouraged if they have you know less than stellar credit and they think that that might stop them from getting a car. Uh, the information that I most recently read said that only 11% of all auto finance applications were actually declined. So that means that 89% of people who applied for a loan were able to get it. So chances are unless the credit situation is really, really bad, you know, you know, maybe making a big down payment or getting a less expensive car, but if a person needs to get a car, 89% um, of people can, just based on, you know, how it's worked out. Yes, um, but, but it depends on what kind of interest rate you're going to get is going to be connected to that credit score. And you're so absolutely you, right. you see all of these teasers out there about, oh, you can buy this car for 0% or 1.9%. But that's only for people with top credit scores. Here in Mississippi, we still have the ability to get a free credit score that uh, Attorney General uh, Jim Hood got that for us as part of the negotiation. So um, you need to check that out before you head to purchase that car. Yeah, and that's true. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'd like to add on to that. The teaser rates of the 0% and the 1.9, again, yeah, just like you said, not everybody's going to qualify for that. Um, but... Even people that we're seeing, you know, who don't have the best credit scores are getting rates that are not 
prohibitive in some cases. Like in California, I think the highest interest rate that somebody could charge for a car is 29.9%. Um, but we're seeing people, we're not seeing people get 29.9% when they're going to regular franchise dealers. Um, the other thing to keep in mind for some shoppers is that if they have purchased a car in the past and they've made good car payments in the past, even if their credit score otherwise may not be perfect, um, an automaker might, you know, look on them with favor and say, hey, well, this guy or gal has already shown that they can make a car payment. Well, we are not going to, you know, give them uh, an incredible, ridiculous interest rate. We're going to give them something that's high, maybe 10, 12, something like that, but not something that's going to stop them from getting the car. But absolutely, people should be looking at their credit score and trying to take steps to fix their credit before getting a car. I just think of the guys and gals like, you know, who just need to get a car in December, and they didn't know that they needed to get one in October, I still want to be able to tell them, hey, go out there and get the car if you need it. You're going to pay a high rate, um, pay on the car well, and hopefully in a year and a half, two years, you can sell that car or trade it in and get something with a better interest rate. All right, we need to take another quick break. We're visiting today on Money Talks with Matt Jones, a senior consumer advice editor for Edmunds.com. So if you have a question about buying a new car or buying a used car, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. We're also taking your personal finance questions as we do each Tuesday morning. Back with more of the program after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're visiting today with Matt Jones, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. So if you have a question about buying a car, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And during the break, Nancy told us that uh, some of that new uh, driver safety stuff that she uses that, that is, you said if your husband's uh, starting to drift out of the other lane you just kind of lean over yeah and... it's just my elbow you know <laughs> so uh let's uh first take a call and then we'll get back uh, with matt jones uh the caller is mike who's called in from mcgee today good morning mike good morning how are you doing today good what's your question i should have a question i was a victim in one way i was involved in a traffic accident and i had excellent credit um the guy started going after my insurance company. Insurance company, after two years' investigation, said he, uh, I did nothing. Any which way, I had to follow Chapter 13 to protect my assets. Come to find out later, the guy's in prison for faking accidents. At any which way, after my Chapter 13 has just been finalized, and when I filed Chapter 13, they actually 
low in my credit score. Now that it's finalized, I was able to boost my credit back up, but they're starting to lower my credit score numbers again, and I'm wondering why. Okay, I, w- I want to be sure. You said you filed Chapter 13? Right, exactly. And that's, and I, I believe that's I the finished it. That's the bankruptcy where you just renegotiate. Exactly. Right, and, and it's not like a Chapter 7 where uh, debt is cleared out. Right, correct. Okay, so... And I was able to build up my headed back into the 700s until the finalization of Chapter 13, and all of a sudden they started deducting points again, even though I have, you know, I, I was actually okay. Um, have you pulled a credit report to see if there's something that would have caused that score to drop? Is maybe something that's being reported incorrectly? I think the thing that I saw in TransUnion not only did American Express actually filed, and when I filed Chapter 13, my score went down. But when they closed the account and said that the bankruptcy was complete, it lowered my score another 20 points. Hmm. That's the only change it shows. And I'm just wondering if it's legal for them to deduct it twice since my score had originally gone down 60 points when I originally filed. If they if they lowered your score that second time, you said when they closed an account. Um, if well, they closed the account when the chapter thirteen was finalized, when everything was done, I made all my payments, paid everything off, and it, it was going going up with, with within the three years that it was in chapter thirteen. Well, it mm-hmm. seems that um, once you declare bankruptcy, that's when you're going to take the biggest hit. Now, I don't... Exactly, and I did at that time. I don't know what happened since then. Um, these credit reporting agencies, they're private agencies. They are uh, calculating our credit scores based on an algorithm, an equation that they throw everything into the mix. Um, so I don't know what is different now. Um, have you looked at the score produced by all of the agencies? Are they all yes, the, about the same? Yes, and like I said, it was going up. I, I actually checked my score weekly, and it's been continuously going up. And when they finally closed last month, I took another hit of 20, 20 points. And like I said, I've been building my score back, back, back up to close to where I was before. Well, I mean, the only thing, Ryder, I can think of is um, with the final close of that, then that exposes creditors to more risk. And okay. and that might be the reason. That could be okay. part of it. And I had uh, two other thoughts. One is, you know, uh, when you have accounts closed, if you don't have if you don't have a ton of accounts out there, if you don't have a huge credit mix, closing one account even can make may make a, a big difference. Also, twenty points isn't necessary. I mean, maybe I mean you say you do check it every week, so you probably have a pretty good feel for how it moves. But right. I find that twenty points is not a very big fluctuation, um, especially for someone who already has pretty good credit um you know just the way these things are calculated there's so many things going in and uh, a small you know 20 point change i mean there's you could have 20 30 point difference between two different scores um so i wouldn't think that's too big a worry unless it either keeps going down or or just you don't you find you can't recover from that it actually went went up by five points yesterday so uh but my, my, my big concern was when, like, like I said, I was actually a victim of a fraud accident. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just so, so I actually want to know how to get my credit back. To, 
it, it's going to time. It's going to be time. And Ryder brings up a good point with some of the accounts being closed because one of the things that is used to calculate that score is your credit history, which is why you want to hang on to some older accounts. Um, mm-hmm. It's not terrible to, to close an account if you're not using it, but you need to have that good mix of different types of credit, uh, some older credit that shows you can maintain that for a long period of time. So if all of that came to a close, that would have affected your numbers. Let me ask you the last final question. My credit report shows until I filed bankruptcy for the past 15 years, I have never been late on anything or missed any payments. And all of a sudden, the bank, the Chapter 13 hit. Uh, will that affect me big time if I go to apply for credit, buy a new a car or something like this? Or is there something that I need to explain to anyone that it wasn't because I couldn't pay my bills, it was just to protect my equity? Well, I, I, it is going to affect you. Now, I think what Matt is telling us is that for most people, you're still going to be able to qualify for the car, for a purchase okay. of a car. It's just a matter of what rate they quote you okay. depending on your score and your record. Okay. okay. Can, can I add something to that? Sure, go ahead, Matt. A situation like yours, we, I, I've seen that in the auto business. Um, if you do have a credit report prior to the bankruptcy, and if you do have documentation about why the bankruptcy began and how it concluded, and you're able to actually explain that to a finance manager in person at a dealership who is able to talk to the banker, uh, the person who actually makes a decision at the bank on your behalf, um, chances are pretty good that you'll be able to get something that's not too unfavorable. We we we. I've seen situations where people had low scores for reasons that were outside of their control. Uh, one that sticks out to me is a young lady. Um, she lost her husband. Uh, he was fighting in Iraq. And their, um, their credit situation changed completely. Her income changed completely. And it was no fault of hers. And, you know, she became widowed. And when we explained that to the lender, they said, well, we completely understand this person has been responsible for the duration of their credit history up until this point, and we understand the reason why. So just like you said, explaining it could help um, move your loan process forward, and hopefully you'll be able to get something that's 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 pretty good. All right. um, also, we just got a message uh, saying that, um, you know, you can go to the dealership, and somebody went to the dealership and got a rate quoted of 6.9%, and then turned around and went to their local credit union and got a rate of 2.8%. And so our Local credit unions, especially if they have the ability to deduct that directly from your paycheck, can often give you a really good rate versus what you can get at the dealer. All right, Mike, thanks for your call. Uh, This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Matt Jones, the Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. And we've got another call on the line. Jim in Madison has some car buying questions. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, hi. Uh, This is a perfect show for me. I hadn't bought a car like in 15 years. And um, I've been shopping around for about a month, and I'm about to pull the trigger on a couple of them right now. So my question, i got a couple of different questions here. Uh, my first one is, how much, uh, how much is paying cash for a vehicle worth in the negotiations? Um, oddly enough, in these days, a dealership doesn't care if you pay cash or if you finance it. And actually... As counterintuitive as it sounds, you actually might get a lower sale price depending upon incentives if you finance. It's not uncommon for a lending institution to offer a customer a $500 rebate if they take uh, the loan. And their idea is that once you're in their ecosystem, chances are you'll go back to them again. Now, the nice thing about that, though, is if you were to just kind of game the system, 
you could take the loan to get that additional rebate, and then if you have the cash on hand, just pay the car off, you know, after you've made a couple payments. Um, but paying cash uh, these days actually will not net somebody, for the most part, a lower price than if they take a finance or uh, a lease. Okay, I suspected that. Um, also, what's the deal with, uh, I guess, warranties? When you're buying, say you're buying a used car, and um, the guy I've, I've talked to here about the car I'm, I'm potentially buying um, keeps mentioning this uh, this powertrain warranty, and he keeps throwing it in there as a it, it makes me suspect about the actual value of this powertrain warranty. Um, what's the? Would you have any opinions on this? Yeah, well, you know, when you talk about the anything that's going to fail in a car, obviously the powertrain would be the most expensive fix. Your engine, your transmission are obviously going to cost more to fix than, you know, the engine or the motor that's going to roll your window up. So a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on powertrains. Now, depending upon the car and the year of the car that you're buying, it may have a powertrain warranty from the manufacturer still in effect. Right. And if you're buying a car from a dealership and that car is uh, what's called certified pre-owned, you might have a powertrain warranty that's up to 100 or even some cases 120,000 miles. So the salesperson might be pushing that so much because that is a big, uh, that's a big concern for a lot of buyers who are buying a used car. They want to buy the used car in order to save themselves some money, and it's a smart choice, but they want to protect themselves to make sure that the car has you know, um, a powerful warranty, uh, a good engine, and a good transmission. So maybe the salesperson's going a little bit overboard, but for a lot of shoppers, that's really a big deal. Um, sure. But you what you should also be, you know, getting ready to hear about is if that salesperson or if that dealership is going to offer to sell you an extended warranty. Um, right. And that's pretty – have you gotten to that conversation? Have they offered that yet? Not yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting it's coming. And yeah, I guess – it'll Go ahead. It'll probably be coming. And that's where you got to – that's where you got to start really paying attention. You know, who is the extended warranty through? Um, what is really covered? You know, where can I get the car fixed? You know, what are my inclusions and exclusions? And I think that's what causes a lot of trepidation for some people is because, you know, they'll spend, like you said, you've been shopping for a month for a car, right? But then they buy the car, and then they have 15 or 20 minutes to decide if they want to, you know, spend another $2,000 or whatever it is for a warranty. And that's where things get a little hectic. So if it were me, I would say, you know, I'd have a conversation with the salesperson to find out all the warranty options and then take them home and think about them, you know, and review them and see if they're going to work for you. Okay. And, and finally, one last question. Um, how much help is a bank, uh, say, a lender, in giving you advice on um, what a car is actually worth, I guess? I mean, can I go to my bank and say, um, you know, I'm buying this vehicle, and can you guys give me an idea if I'm getting a, a good price on this or not? Absolutely. Well, so let me, let me share something with you. If you're a bank and you're lending money for a car, a bank is actually going to make sure that they're not going to lend more money for a car than what the car is really worth in the event that they have to repossess it. So right. say, for example, there's a Honda Civic for, that's worth $20,000, but I want to borrow $40,000 to buy that car. The bank's going to say, no way, because if it needs to be repossessed, I owe $40,000 for a car that's worth $20,000. But I know that's a very broad statement, but banks are actually really good at determining how much a car should be sold for and what its value is. So if you want to double check, you know, what the dealership's saying, and if you're using online tools, like again, Edmonds, we can tell you what a car is worth, but talking to a bank, the person who's actually going to be making loan for money, they can give you a very good idea of what a value of a car is worth. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that is an independent third-party assessment of a vehicle that most people don't look to to get an idea of how much a car is really worth, but a lender will know. 
because they're not going to overland for something. Will a bank have any insight into what a car or what cars, what, what, what a type of car typically goes for at auction? Because, you know, my, my assumption is, and I, I, years and years ago I worked in um, auto finance, and uh, so I have a little insight into this. So I, I assume it's the same thing now, that a, a, a dealership will go to a car auction and, you know, they can buy, they'll buy a vehicle for $8,000 that they turn around and sell for $16,000. Um, is that accurate or... From my experience, I haven't known too many banks to actually know what a car is worth at auction. Um, banks are pretty good at projecting what a car could be worth three or four or five years down the line, but not actually what a car's value would be at an auction. Um, but there are tools out there that can give you an idea of what a car is selling for. Um, and as I said earlier, I think I think the, the, the way to go about it is to just get a good feel for what is the market for that particular car where you are. And as long as you're within the market or hopefully a little bit below market, you're probably in good shape. Um, but I wouldn't make that search too big because different regions can have different values for cars. For example, a car in Colorado can have a different value than it would here in, Colorado, uh, in California. So I'd make it, you know, kind of localized. Um, but the only people who really, really know what a car is going to sell for at an auction is, is really going to be either the dealer or, or the auction. And it's unfortunate, but there's really no surefire way other than talking to those two entities to get an idea of what a car will sell for at an auction. All right, Jim, thanks for your call. Some good uh, questions there. We need to take one final break. When we get back, we'll wrap things up on Money Talks. We're visiting today with Matt Jones, the Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. Back to wrap up Money Talks after this. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taft. And we're visiting today with Matt Jones, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. Matt, got a couple minutes left. Uh, if you want to talk a bit uh, about the importance of the test drive and, and what you should be looking for and some tips on a successful test drive. Okay, so uh, point number one, make sure you test drive. <laughs> We're getting information that says about a full 30% of people are not test driving the cars that they're buying. 
And that's just mind-blowing to me, but there's people who just have had a Toyota Camry in the past, and they're just going to go buy the next Camry, and they don't necessarily test drive the, uh, what else is out there. So I think that's, that's rule number one is make sure that you do test drive. The next thing you do is when you test drive, you make sure that you bring all the people that are going to be in the car. You know, if you've got kids that are going to be going in the back, bring them along. Um, you also want to try to test drive along a route that's going to be similar and drive similarly to you would as the way that you would in your regular life. Matt, uh, um, a writer's telling me that I need to bring my dog. <laughs> yeah, she she takes her dog with her everywhere. So is that is that typical in a test drive to bring your pets? I've seen it. So <laughs> I've seen it. Now be courteous and bring a blanket. No, bring a blanket. But, oh, she only sheds a little bit. <laughs> But you know what? That brings up a good point because I was looking, my wife and I were looking for an SUV and we have a dog, right? One of our considerations is can the dog jump in and out of the cargo hatch easily? Mm-hmm. We have to be paying attention to cargo height and I've seen it. So that's actually not something you bring your dog to a car dealership. They're not going to look at you funny. It won't be the first time they've seen it. So, <laughs> so yeah, kind of act like you would in your real life. Do the things that you really would do. And you know what? If you've got a good, you know, if you've got a small garage, take the car to your garage and park it. Make sure things fit. The things that we become uncomfortable about doing test drives, like I don't want to speed or I don't want to go more than 10 miles, a good dealership's not going to care. This is a lot of money, and, and take it seriously. So, but, okay, can you go through the Wendy's and get a hamburger and see if, <laughs> if your drink fits in and you can reach everything? If you buy your salesperson a burger or a frosty, <laughs> they're probably going to play right along with it. And as long as you don't spill ketchup everywhere, right? Don't spill ketchup, No. <laughs> All right, uh, Matt, got about a minute left. I guess, uh, you know, the, some final advice, you know, do your research, but also don't be afraid to ask questions and, and negotiate. Absolutely. And this is a, my, my favorite tip of advice. When you're going to a dealership and you know that you're going to negotiate, the best tool that you have besides research, I know it's going to sound corny, is by being nice. Smile. Try to be polite. If you had a bad car experience in the past, unless it was with the same person, try to, try to erase that and try to start off on a good foot because car salespeople are more likely to go out of their way to help somebody that's nice to them than somebody who, you know, who isn't nice to them. So do your research, number one. But when you have to talk to somebody, be nice to them, and you're more likely to get a better deal than if you, you know, yell or bark orders or whatever. All right. That's some great advice. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So as I said, Matt's the Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. Lots of useful information there if you are in the car buying process. So, um... Now, I assume, Nancy, you are, you are not in the car buying process at, at currently, right? Or, or what about you? No, I, I bought one about a year ago. And Ask him what he was driving before that. I was driving a 99 Cadillac DeVille. It was white with a blue leather interior and the <laughs> and air had conditioning no air didn't conditioning. work. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash talks. There's also the MPB Public Radio app. You can download that and listen to uh, MPB Think Radio on your schedule on your iPhone or Android. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener was Patrick Price. So for Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Ryder Taft, and Matt Jones, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's In Legal Terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.